Intent to steal, animus furandi. The offender must have taken the property with the intent to steal it. Traditionally intent to steal is defined as the intent to deprive the owner of the possession of the property permanently. Permanently means indefinitely, that is, with no plan to return the property to the rightful owner. However, intent to steal includes other states of mind such as the intent to recklessly deprive the owner of the property permanently. A person who takes property of another under the mistaken belief that the property belongs to him does not have the requisite intent to steal, nor does a person intend to steal property when he takes property intending to make temporary use of it and then return the property to the owner within a reasonable time. However, it is not a defense that the defendant did not know that the property belonged to the true owner, only that he knew that it did not belong to him. Must have value. Larceny protects the possession of goods, objects that have economic value. A good is economic value if it has a price, that is, the property can be sold in a market. Thus, if the property taken has no economic value, it is not subject to larceny statutes. Under contemporary larceny laws, it is normally sufficient to support a larceny charge if the item has any value to the owner, even if its market value would be negligible. Under New York State law, written instruments, utility services, and items of unascertainable value have special rules, and for grand larceny in the fourth degree, a motor vehicle must have a value of $100 or greater. Otherwise, value is defined generally as the market value of the property at the time and place of the crime, or if such cannot be satisfactorily ascertained, the cost of replacement of the property within a reasonable time after the crime. NY Penal Law Section 155.201 Grand Larceny Grand larceny is typically defined as larceny of a more significant amount of property. In the U.S., it is often defined as an amount valued at least $400. In New York, grand larceny refers to amounts of at least $1,000. Grand larceny is often classified as a felony with a concomitant possibility of a harsher sentence. In Virginia the threshold is only $5 if taken from a person, or $500 if not taken from the person. The same penalty applies for stealing checks as for cash or other valuables. Some states, such as North Carolina, use the term felonious larceny instead of grand larceny. The classification of larceny as grand or petty larceny originated in an English statute passed in 1275. Petty is a French word for small. Both were felonies. However, the punishment for grand larceny was death while the punishment for petty larceny was forfeiture of property to the crown and whipping. The classification was based on the value of the property taken. The offense was grand larceny if the value of the property taken was greater than 12 pence, approximately the value of a sheep in the 13th century. Most jurisdictions have discarded the grand-slash-petty terminology and use value to classify larcenies as felonies or misdemeanors. Value means the fair market value of the property at the time and place taken. Most jurisdictions also make certain larcenies felonies regardless of the value of the property taken. For example, North Carolina General Statute Section 14-72, B1, makes the crime of larceny a felony without regard to value if the larceny is, 1, from the person, 2, committed pursuant to certain types of breaking or entering, 3, of any explosive or incendiary device or, 4, of any firearm. The modern spelling is petty larceny for the misdemeanor level. Some states may also charge certain types of larceny as robbery, burglary, theft, shoplifting, conversion, and other terms. Problem areas. Subject matter. As noted above one cannot steal items affixed to the earth because such things are not personal property.
However, one of the remarkable qualities of property is its shiftiness, its ability to change its character often and quickly, from real to personal and from personal to real. The principal methods of achieving this transformation are attachment and severance. If personal property is attached to land, it becomes real property. And if real property is severed from the land, rendered unattached, it becomes personal property. Examples abound. A person buys a furnace. The furnace company dispatched a technician to deliver and install the heating system. Before installation the heating system is personal property. It has corporeal presence and it can be moved around as witnessed by the fact that the technician picked it up at the warehouse, loaded it into his truck, drove it to the house, unloaded it, placed it in the basement and hooked it up to the house. The hooking up is the act that transformed what was personal property to real property. Once it is installed it has become attached to the land, the house, and is now considered real property. The attachment to the house has to be more than casual for personal property to become real property. For example, a table lamp that is plugged into a wall socket is not real property. A window air conditioning unit is not real property. Comparison with embezzlement. Embezzlement differs from larceny in two ways. First, in embezzlement, an actual conversion must occur. Second, the original taking must not be trespassery. To say that the taking was not trespassery is to say that the persons performing the embezzlement had the right to possess, use and or access the assets in question, and that such persons subsequently secreted and converted the assets for an unintended and or unsanctioned use. Conversion requires that the secretion interferes with the property, rather than just relocate it. As in larceny, the measure is not the gain to the embezzler, but the loss to the asset stakeholders. An example of conversion is when a person logs checks in a check register or transaction log as being used for one specific purpose and then explicitly uses the funds from the checking account for another and completely different purpose. It is important to make clear that embezzlement is not always a form of theft or an act of stealing, since those definitions specifically deal with taking something that does not belong to the perpetrators. Instead, embezzlement is, more generically, an act of deceitfully secreting assets by one or more persons that have been entrusted with such assets. The persons entrusted with such assets may or may not have an ownership stake in such assets. In the case where it is a form of theft, distinguishing between embezzlement and larceny can be tricky. Making the distinction is particularly difficult when dealing with misappropriations of property by employees. To prove embezzlement, the state must show that the employee had possession of the goods by virtue of her employment, that is, that the employee had the authority to exercise substantial control over the goods. Typically, in determining whether the employee had sufficient control the courts will look at factors such as the job title, job description and particular employment practices. For example, the manager of a shoe department at a store would likely have sufficient control over the shoes that if she converted the goods to her own use, she would be guilty of embezzlement. On the other hand, if the same employee were to steal cosmetics from the cosmetic counter, so long as they did not convert the product, the crime would not be embezzlement but larceny. For a case that exemplifies the difficulty of distinguishing larceny and embezzlement see State B. Weaver, 359 NC246, 607 S.E.2D 599, 2005. By trick. Using confidence tricks, deception, to get possession of property is larceny. Larceny by trick is descriptive of the method used to obtain possession. The concept arose from Pear's case decided in 1779. The issue was whether a person who had fraudulently obtained possession of personal property, a horse, could be convicted of larceny. 
The chief impediment to conviction was the doctrine of possessorial immunity which said that a person who had acquired possession lawfully, that is with the consent of the owner, could not be prosecuted for larceny. Clearly the owner of the horse had given the defendant possession of the animal, he had agreed that the defendant could borrow the horse to ride to Surrey. The case would seem to have been cut and dried, the doctrine of possessorial immunity applied and the defendant was therefore not guilty of larceny. The court held that consent induced by fraud was not consent in the eyes of the law. The fraudulent act that induced the owner to transfer possession vitiated the consent. This concept of consent broadened the scope of larceny. Before, consent meant the voluntary relinquishment of possession and thus property was wrongfully taken only if the defendant acquired possession by stealth, force or threat of force. By employees. An employee is generally presumed to have custody rather than possession of the property of his employer used during his employment. Thus, the misappropriation would be larceny. However, officers, managers and employees who have significant authority over the disposition or use of the employer's property have possession rather than custody and the misappropriation of the property would likely be embezzlement rather than larceny. Determining whether an employee has custody or possession can be difficult. A careful examination of the employee's duties and responsibilities, his authority over the property and the actual business practices is required. If a third party transfers possession of property to an employee for delivery to his employer, the employee has possession of the property and his conversion of the property would be embezzlement rather than larceny. For example, if a customer of a bank delivers money to a teller to deposit in the customer's account, the teller had possession of the property and his misappropriation would be embezzlement rather than larceny. However, once the teller transfers possession of the money to his employer, by placing the money in the till for example, the subsequent taking would be larceny rather than embezzlement. This rule does not apply if the teller intending to steal the property places the money in the till merely as a temporary repository or to hide his peculation. Aggregation Issues Thievery may well involve many items of personal property stolen from multiple victims. Questions arise as to whether such situations are to be treated as one large theft or multiple small ones. The answer depends on the circumstances. If a thief steals multiple items from one victim during a single episode the courts doubtlessly would treat the act as one crime. The same result would be obtained if, if the thief stole items from the same victim over a period of time on the grounds that the stealing was pursuant to a common scheme or plan. The effect would be that the state could aggregate the value of the various items taken in determining whether the crime was a felony or misdemeanor. Such a result would not always work to the criminal's detriment. Aggregation is also generally permitted when the thief steals property from multiple victims at the same time. For example, a thief steals rims from several cars parked in the same lot. On the other hand, aggregation is not permitted when a thief steals items from various victims at different times and places. Etymology the word larceny is a late Middle English word, from the Anglo-Norman word larson, theft. Its probable Latin root is latrocinium, a derivative of latro, robber, originally mercenary.